turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to John chapter 7. Uh, We'll be reading verses 37 to 44. So John chapter 7, verses 37 to 44. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others said, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word. Well, guys, just a few things. Um, For those of you who don't know, Pastor Darrell has been away. He was supposed to be preaching this week, and uh, he's been in uh, Sydney for a funeral. He's visiting family at the moment. He'll be back tomorrow. Um, For those of you who've been praying for us, our family, thank you very much. Um, The situation is not getting better. It's actually getting worse. Um, So we don't envisage seeing Elena until sometime in July. Um, But please continue to pray. Uh, It's a very difficult situation for all of us. As you know, uh, we've been moving through this series on the Holy Spirit and uh, we're continuing that obviously. And I think that as, as we move through, we should be reminded of things that are going to be beneficial in the particular message that we're looking at and that's certainly the case today. So uh, I just want to recap on some of the things that come out of the verses that we've looked at. So a couple of weeks ago um, I spoke on John 14, uh, 15 to 27 and there was a few things that came out of that which we should be reminded of and out of those verses we learnt that um, Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We also learnt that he is our helper. We heard that he he was the spirit of truth and we heard that he's the seal of all believers and last week um, pastor david um, focused on the end of john 15 and the beginning of john 16 through to verse 15 and out of those verses we get the fact that jesus is present with us he bears witness about christ He reproves the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment and and that's to do with um, Jesus' death and resurrection being proof that he was sinless more than Holy Spirit convicting people. Uh, And Holy Spirit guides us into truth and also Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. And as we begin to look at the topic that we're looking at this evening, it's important to keep two of these things uh, in mind, I believe. And that is that um, Holy Spirit is the seal of all believers, without exception. Anyone believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour have been sealed by Holy Spirit. And the other one is that that Holy Spirit always glorifies Christ. That is his role. He never seeks glory for himself. He never puts himself out there for others to praise and honour and glorify. He glorifies Christ and I think that's very very important so from our passage today we're going to be looking at being filled and baptized in the spirit so let's pause and pray
Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that it is the authority that has been given to us. And I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us that we'll open our hearts more to your word than me. I pray, Lord, that we will seek the truth for ourselves. And I pray that this message will provide some clarification for people. It will provide um, some truth that will speak into their lives and will allow them to know your truth, Lord, and to be able to live by that. We pray this in Jesus' name. I've got to be honest, I'm, I'm very tired. It's, it's been a tough week. And when Scott got up here, I thought he introduced himself as Scott Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a true story. Oh, okay. And I'm just like, what, what just happened? <laughs> Bless you, Scott. Thank you for your prayer. But anyway, as I researched this topic, uh, I, I read a bit about Billy Graham. And uh, I, I love Billy Graham. I love his work. He was an incredibly humble man. Uh, he just had this anointing on his ministry that God just multiplied. And uh, Billy was sitting in a church as a young man. And it was quite a Pentecostal church. And the person who was speaking from the front, he pointed out a few people in his congregation. He said, oh, have you received, have you been baptized in the Spirit? And the person responded, yes, praise God. Pointed out someone else. Have you been baptized in the Spirit? It's like, yes, thank you, Lord. And then he pointed to Billy. And he said, Billy, oh, he didn't know his name, sorry. He pointed to Billy and said, young man, have you been baptized in the Spirit? And Billy said, yes, I have. And he said, when did that happen? And Billy said, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. And the speaker said, that is simply not possible. Sad, isn't it? And, and this is the tension that we have. This is the heart of the disagreement in baptism of Holy Spirit. There's a number of people who believe you have an encounter with Christ. And that at a later date, you receive what's called the baptism of Holy Spirit. And so tonight, I think we need to clarify that. I think we need to find out what is right, not who is right. We need to find out what is right. And we need to ask, how can we possibly know? And the only way we can know is from this. This is the authority we've been given. This trumps your experiences, your feelings, what your mates do, this is God's word. And this has to be our authority. If we use anything else, we're on very dangerous ground. And I have to tell you, I've been in a number of Pentecostal meetings. I, when I was growing up, man, I've seen and done things that, yeah, you people would be very afraid of. But I've experienced all that. And it still comes back to God's word. And what he says is right. So as we dig into God's word, I want to first and foremost look at when Holy Spirit came. The passage that I read out to you this evening uh, is very closely tied to the day of Pentecost. Uh, Jesus is pointing forward to what will happen when he ascends to heaven. And we're told now the Jews were having the Feast of Booths. And so the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration that they actually had. And every Jew would come out of their house and they would build uh, a booth or a tabernacle out of timber and branches and leaves and things like that. And they would dwell in that for seven days. And, and they wouldn't go into their house. This was where they were. And the reason they did that was to remember that God brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness. He delivered them. And, and so they had this celebration every year to reflect on that. 
And in this verse where it says this, you might remember this story. This is, sorry, the account. This is where Jesus' brothers said to him, why don't you go up to Judah? If you're someone great, you should reveal yourself to them because that's what people do. Because Jesus' brothers didn't actually believe he was the Messiah. And so Jesus said, no, I'm not going to go up. So his brothers went up, but Jesus did follow later. And then Jesus finds himself in the temple. And so every day in the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, the high priest would take a golden vessel and he would go to the Pool of Siloam and he would fill that vessel and he would go to the altar and he'd pour the water over the altar. And when he did that, the people would celebrate. They would sing praises. They would shout to God. It would be a great celebration. And that occurred for seven days. It came to day eight and all these sacrifices and everything happened. But that water was not poured on the altar at that time. The people didn't shout and celebrate and sing praises. The people were silent. It was a time of repentance. It was a time of reflection upon themselves and their relationship with God. It was a solemn event. And it was on that last day that Jesus stood up and said this, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And we don't really understand the significance of what Jesus is saying here, but this is huge. Jesus is claiming to be God in this verse. He proclaims himself to be the fountain of living water. And there would have been thousands of people who would have heard Jesus say this. And some would have been shocked, or in fact, possibly all of them would have been shocked. Some would have believed and some would have just rejected it and wondered why someone would make such a claim as they did. But what it's referring to is back in Jeremiah 17, 13. If you look at the bottom line, it says that if people forsake God, they are forsaking the fountain of living water. And that's what he's actually referring to. When we read Revelation 7, 17, it tells us that Jesus will be our shepherd and he will guide us to springs of living water. And even in our passions today, Jesus makes it clear. The rivers of living water that he speaks of our Holy Spirit. The living water is the Holy Spirit. But before that living water, before the Holy Spirit could be released, the fountain had to be opened. Jesus had to be glorified, as it says in the bottom. And we know Jesus was glorified through his death, his resurrection and his ascension, the way, he ascended, the way he rose to heaven at the end. And we know now through scripture that Jesus is sitting at God's right hand, glorified, enthroned. And once he went there, he was going to release Holy Spirit. And it's at that time that people experienced the baptism of Holy Spirit. I don't know how many people have difficulties with this stuff, but I make no apology for what I'm going to say because this is straight from Scripture. So if you have an issue with what I'm about to say, you have to rebut this Scripture for me first, then I'll listen to you. 
our overwhelming desire when it comes to any matter is to know what the Bible teaches first and foremost on that subject. Then we go elsewhere, but we must know Scripture first. So when we're talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are seven verses in the New Testament that talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit. Only seven. And so those passages, uh, Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16, are almost verbatim. If you put them side by side, they are exactly the same, really. In some translations they are. I'd imagine in some they're slightly different, but they're basically verbatim. Matthew 1.8 and uh, John 1.33, all, uh, all four of these passages, all four of these verses are speaking about exactly the same event, exactly the same thing that happened. And what it is, it's John the Baptist speaking about a future event, something that is going to happen. And he's talking about how he baptizes these people with water, the baptism of repentance, but one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Of course, he's referring to Jesus. And, and so that's what John the Baptist is speaking about there. And then we have Jesus. Uh, he makes reference to what John said in Acts 1, 4 and 5. And we see that that's exactly the same thing. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And Peter mentions Jesus' words again when he's challenged uh, over going to a Gentile's house, uh, something that was forbidden for Jews to do. And we know that um, Christianity was about uniting people. So um, Peter is rebuked, but he goes and he says that as he spoke to these people, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as Holy Spirit fell on us at the beginning. And then he says that he remembered what the Lord said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is an event that shocked the Jewish believers that were present with Peter and witnessed exactly what happened. We're told in Acts 10.45 that the Jewish believers were amazed because the gift of Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. It wasn't just something reserved for the Jewish nation. This was something that was going to go worldwide. And so they were amazed that that finally happened, that that, that did actually happen. And the final passage that mentions baptism of the Holy Spirit is uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. These are the passages, the only passages in Scripture that refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. There's no other references. There's no second baptism mentioned. There's no other accounts which could be referred to. And so when we think of Pentecost, when we think of that first time that Holy Spirit was poured out on believers, it was an incredible event. It was world-changing, literally. And it's quite amazing when you sit back and think about it. But we are tied to that event also. If you're a believer and you testify that Jesus Christ died for all, that is an absolute biblical truth. He died for all of us. There's no other option in Scripture. And Jesus dies for all members of his body, the church. And he died for us. We were not yet born at that stage. And we had an entered into a relationship with him, but he died for us as well. Each of us who repent and believe in him, baptized into one body, one spirit, 
through drinking that one spirit. And this happens because of Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension. It's got nothing to do with me. And so the baptism of the spirit that we've been speaking about occurs when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. That's quite clear from the passages that we've looked at. We receive Jesus, we receive Holy Spirit through baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what this says. And we need to realise too that the word used for baptism, if you could imagine a dry sponge in my hands, the word used for baptism is like me taking that sponge and immersing it in water and squeezing it so it soaks up as much water as possible. And I'm sure all of you wash your parents' cars or whatever. When you pull that sponge out, fluid flows out of it. It is full to overflowing. And that's what it's speaking about in this baptism. So when we are baptised by Holy Spirit at our point of conversion, we are filled to overflowing. We don't need any more of Holy Spirit. So if that's the case, what's this mean? There are a ton of examples of being filled with the Holy Spirit in Scripture. They occurred even in Old Testament times. When we look at Exodus 28, there's all these people who were filled with the Spirit. Uh, this is before Spirit was released, obviously, but there's people that were filled with the Spirit um, in order to perform certain tasks, um, make certain things for the tabernacle. So that was a filling of the Spirit for them. Uh, we have uh, other events as well, like 1 Samuel 11, when the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul and indwelt Saul and empowered him in great and mighty ways. But sadly, in chapter 16, that same Spirit was also removed from him. There's many other examples in the Old Testament of similar occurrences. And when we come into the New Testament and we read the Gospels, we, we read that John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. Uh, we also read that Elizabeth, his mother, was filled with the Spirit at one point. We read that Zachariah, his father, was filled with the Spirit at one point. And there's many, many others like that. Mary and also a guy called Jesus. He was baptised and he was filled with the Spirit at that time. But they were filled in a special way before Holy Spirit was released. And then Holy Spirit's released upon the disciples, the followers of Jesus. And this is what happened when that occurred. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we are told here that as they're being filled with the Holy Spirit... Um, this, this is the event that John the Baptist was pointing forward to. He was saying that the Holy Spirit was going to be released. So as we read this, that's what's being referred to. And it seems like there's a bit of a contradiction because John speaks about being baptised and here it says that they were filled with the Spirit. So what's the difference there? And I don't believe there's any. When we think about being filled with anything... Whatever is filled with that thing, if you fill a tub with water, that tub is suddenly bound by that water. Uh, it reacts and engages with what it contains. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are under Holy Spirit's influence. We're swayed by his power. We're willing to do what he calls us to do. So when these disciples were filled with Holy Spirit, they were totally under his power and willing to do whatever he called them to do. And when we think about that particular day, there were so many incredible things that happened. 
There was this sound of rushing wind. There was these tongues of fire distributed amongst each and every person that was there. And there was a couple of things that happened. They were baptized with this spirit. They were filled with him. And they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. And the word used here for tongues is other languages. So these are languages that are known. And so I believe there was a certain portion of that 120 who spoke in tongues. I say a certain portion because I see no other reason to have as the Spirit gave them utterance at the end. So I think some spoke in tongues, some didn't. And uh, I don't know how many, maybe 119 got to speak in tongues and one didn't. Who knows? But I don't believe they all spoke in tongues. They spoke in languages that the gathered thousands would understand. And I think we need to pay attention to what occurred. As Holy Spirit empowered them, they spoke in tongues that the people could understand and they were proclaiming the mighty works of God. Holy Spirit always glorifies Christ. So here... Holy Spirit is proclaiming the mighty works of God which are revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. None of it was mindless drivel or gibberish. And Paul actually warns the Corinthian church against that in 1 Corinthians 14. Everything said in this occasion, in this event, had a reason and a purpose and all of it glorified God. Now it's interesting because because this was the first occurrence of Holy Spirit coming, there's people who say, well, that's the norm. That's the pattern for what happens. So when Holy Spirit comes upon a person, they must speak in tongues. They must glorify God. They don't talk about the tongues of fire and things being distributed, but they say that that's what must occur. And I actually find that very interesting. And I'll be quite honest with you, I don't believe that. I don't speak in tongues myself, never have. But... Um, we have 120 followers of Jesus who are the first to experience the baptism of Holy Spirit and they're being filled at that time as well. But only minutes later, there's 3,000 people, 3,000 people who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour and Holy Spirit comes upon them. No wind, no fire, no speaking in tongues as far as we know. Yet Peter assures these new believers that they have inherited the same promise, the same gift that the 120 received. The 120 are different to the 3,000 though. The 120 were already believers. They were already following Christ. But they didn't have Holy Spirit. They can't receive something that had not been released. Jesus had to go before Holy Spirit could be released. And so the 120 were told to wait, to wait in Jerusalem until that gift was given. And that's exactly what they did. So the norm is the 3,000, not the 120. The 3,000 were the first unbelievers to come to faith after Pentecost. That's the pattern and design for what we see occur with all believers from the day of Pentecost forward. I think you'll see that that's true through all of Scripture. The forgiveness of sins, the free gift of Holy Spirit, or the baptism, if you want to call it that, occurs at the same time it occurs together from the day of Pentecost forward for all true believers beginning with the 120 yes but also the 3000 and until now
You know what's really interesting? We are never commanded or instructed to pray for the baptism of Holy Spirit. We are never commanded or instructed to pray for Holy Spirit to come upon us. It's just not in Scripture. But we are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you like, this is a bit of a command. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and this passage causes so many issues for people. But it's relatively straightforward, I think. This is a call for us to respond to all that God has done. God cannot work with passive subjects. He needs us to be active in our call. All we are, all we have, all we will be is a result of God and what he has done. And as Christians, we should be making life choices that bring honour and glory to him. We should no longer be living for ourselves. We all know we should put to death our old selves daily and be living a new life for him. We're to think about how we use our time. We're to allocate time to spend with God, with Jesus, so that we can grow to know and love them, understanding their will and grow in our faith. We're to spend time with our brothers and sisters in Christ to build them up in the faith, not just to have a good time. And we're to gather to pray and worship and honour and glorify God. And what God is asking through this verse, through Paul, is for us to focus our attention on Christ, his presence with us through Holy Spirit, and to open ourselves continually to the transforming work of Holy Spirit so that he will empower, he will guide us, and he will shape us into being the people that God intends for us to be. There's some who know of some passages that are counter to this. So let's look at the biblical exceptions or what appear to be biblical exceptions. The first account we could look at is uh, in Acts 8. And this is the first account of a secondary leader um, actually proclaiming the gospel message. And when I say uh, a secondary leader or a second generation leader, it's not one of the apostles. Uh, Philip was one of the seven who was chosen to be a deacon, uh, same as Stephen was, and he was a man who was filled with the Spirit. That was one of the qualifications. And so Philip has gone off to Samaria and uh, he has proclaimed uh, the gospel message to these people in Samaria and they have committed their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they haven't received Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John hear about what's happened and they go down and they find these people there and again, they've received the gospel message, they've repented, they've been baptised, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John lay their hands on them, pray for them and Holy Spirit comes upon them. It's an interesting account, isn't it? Why is this different? Why isn't it like the 3,000? I want you to think about the nation of Samaria. Samaria hated the Jews. The Jews hated Samaria. And I don't know, I couldn't have come up with this. What is the best way to bring two groups of people together who have great animosity? And in this case... God took the leaders of the Jewish church, the Jewish leaders of the Christian church, and he brought them to Samaria. And he allowed those leaders to pray for the people of Samaria and for them to witness Holy Spirit coming upon these people in exactly the same way as they had for the apostles. 
And not only that, the people of Samaria saw that the leaders of the Christian church were willing to come and minister to them. The people of Samaria were not allowed to worship in Jerusalem. And yet these leaders came and treated them as brothers and sisters in Christ. What better way to bring unity to two nations that were fighting than by doing exactly that? And I believe that is what is happening on this account. The second anomaly is surrounding Saul's conversion. You can all hear me, hey? I think the microphone's died, hasn't it? No, I'm oh, still going, cool. Okay. So the second anomaly is around Saul's conversion. And some people here are question when Saul actually gave his life to Christ. And so they see that when Ananias came and laid his hands on him and prayed for him, that he received Holy Spirit. So that's a second filling of Holy Spirit. But it doesn't read that way when you read the scripture. Um, there's no mention of when Saul actually came to faith and when he says uh, in, in Acts 9 when he says who are you Lord the word for Lord there could actually mean uh, my very own Lord or it could mean sir and I don't know about you but if you were driving home tonight and this big white light knocked your car off the road and someone started speaking to you I think you'd respect whoever that person was yeah and so Saul is in this position where he's not 100% sure who's talking to him. Jesus says, I am he who you are persecuting. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. But when did Saul actually claim him as his Lord and Saviour? We're not told. And we know that Saul gets led into a city and he spends three days praying and fasting. At what point did he come to faith? We don't know. And then Ananias comes. Maybe it was at some point through something that Ananias said that Saul actually went, yep, okay, I need Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Maybe it was just before Ananias came, we don't know. But again, I think that this is a little different to the other events, but it's not the norm, it's not what regularly happens. We had the account of Cornelius that uh, I read out earlier in Acts 10 where uh, Peter went into the Gentiles' house and again, the Gentiles were not allowed to worship in the, most, in, in the same section as the Jews in the temple. And so Peter himself was taught that God was going to accept the Gentiles. And so when they come, they go into this house, into a Gentile's house, which they'd never done in their life. They proclaim the gospel and they saw Holy Spirit fall on these men just as they had on themselves. And if you remember... Peter gets hauled before the leaders back in Jerusalem. How dare you enter a Gentile house? And Peter says, well, God gave me this vision. This is what the vision was. So I went and Holy Spirit fell on him. Just like he fell on us. And what did the leaders do? They praised the Lord because they realized God was accepting the Gentiles just as they had accepted them. And the final one is in Acts 19 where Paul goes to Ephesus and he finds 12 people who appeared to be disciples. But these 12 people hadn't heard about Jesus. They'd accepted the baptism of John. So they'd accepted a baptism of repentance and they'd gone back and they were still waiting to hear about Jesus. They were still waiting for the promised Messiah. So they had not received the Spirit at that stage. And so Paul gives them the message of Jesus and they receive that message, they're baptised and he prays for them and Holy Spirit comes upon them. And this is the only other account where they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. There's no other account in scripture where that happens. 
No second baptism, no second experience of Holy Spirit, but certainly an incredible manifestation in prophecy and tongues. Will God still use tongues today? Yeah. Is it a necessity for all believers to have it? Nope. If it is, you better sack me. So what do we take from this today? Firstly, every Christian, every true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ must agree, based on the scriptures that we've looked at, that all true believers are baptised in Holy Spirit at the time they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. There's no other option with the scriptures that we've read. And what we should also agree with is that our salvation is past, present and future. I don't believe scripture gives us any other option there as well. I have been saved. That's my justification where I'm put back in right relationship with God. That's where I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Then there's our sanctification where I daily set aside my life for God's use and purpose. I put to death my old self and I choose to live for Jesus. And so I am being saved. And on that last day, when I die or when Christ returns, I'll be glorified with him. I will be saved. And so I want to talk very briefly. I'm wrapping up, guys. Our sanctification is about holiness. Holiness in our lives can only be achieved through the work of Holy Spirit. He indwells us, he instructs us, he guides us. And regardless of whether you believe what has been said today or not, you must seek holiness if you're a follower of Christ. There is no other option. Remember Jesus' words that we heard earlier where he promises that from the innermost being of the one who believes in him will flow rivers, not trickles, rivers of living water. Is that true of you? When you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you were baptised in the Spirit. Remember the sponge. And he fills you to overflowing. And he fills you so that overflows to the people around you so you bring them into the kingdom. Is that true of you? He walks with us constantly in the deepest, darkest moments of our lives. He celebrates with us in our joys as well. And I can testify to his goodness and how he constantly draws me to himself and how he always provides what you need in order to minister to others. He will do the same for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, each and every one of these people that are hearing my voice, that they'll trust your word more than they trust me. And that they'll find that word to be true, that they'll claim that word for their own. And so Lord, this week, I just pray each and every one of us will consider again, consider afresh that time when we gave our life to you when we received Holy Spirit, when we were baptised by him, when we were filled to overflowing, Lord. And I pray we'll surrender afresh to you. I pray that we will seek more than ever to live lives that honour and glorify you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, I do have some question sheets here. I 
You don't necessarily have to sit around and chat about them. I'd encourage you to do so if you wish to. I encourage you to take some home with you. Uh, I also, uh, we have to pack up these chairs tonight, so if you can help with that, that would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you'd like someone to pray with you, please come up. More than happy to do that for you. But guys, this week, I really do pray that the Lord will be with you. I pray that he'll reveal the truth of his word to you. And I ask that he'll give you divine appointments, that you'll be given opportunity to speak about him to someone who doesn't yet know him and that you'll do that with joy and just an overwhelming sense of the privilege that we have in proclaiming his message. God bless one and all. Thank you.